Hey folks, welcome to Thursday I, exciting day. I'm recording from an exotic location. I will say more about soon. In this episode, we'll definitely discuss several interesting developments. And before we dive in, I'll do like a brief, uh, maybe recap of everything that I already have noted down. So I think from the big company narrative, we've seen a lot last week. We've seen a bunch of updates from OpenAI. We've seen a lot of updates from uh, Cloudflare, updates from Microsoft the week before. And this week we've seen Google with their made with Google event. And they talked about adding Google Assistant, uh, making it smarter and adding Bard to Google Assistant, which is, I think many people will actually find it very interesting. I'm not sure if that's on device inference yet or cloud, but we can definitely talk about Bard inside Google Assistant and what it means <laughs> and what it means for Siri on the other side of the mobile app duopoly or mobile framework duopoly. Actually, June 8th was in the audience now, sent me Reka AI, this multi-model model called Yasa One. And one of the researchers on the team, there's Yite, who was in Google Brain for a while. And they've scaled this multi-model model, basically called Yasa One. So it's going to be interesting to talk about. I tried to register for it. It asked me for an API key, so I don't have a lot of experience, but yeah. The next thing we're going to talk about is the proliferation of AI inside browsers. So obviously if you use Edge, you already can use Bing chat together with your surfing. And I use Arc browser from a company called Browser Company, which used to have an invite. And now I think you just download and, and use. And Arc announced Arc Max with five new features, AI including, and two of them are really, really something. And we're going to talk about how AI helps us browse and use our browser. And then we're going to get to open source LLMs, our favorite, favorite point. We, we've talked about Mistral 7B dropping on us <laughs> like magic last week with a torrent link. And then we actually had Guillaume, the chief scientist in the audience in Thursday night last week. So we were kind of blown away just as we were guessing up and we're getting excited about Mistral, we saw Guillaume in the audience. And uh, since then, I think the community picked up Mistral as this beautiful model that they gave us Apache to license and it was great. And there was some tension about fine-tuning it. I think Technium talked about fine-tuning is not super easy, but anyway, fine-tune started flowing out and Auto, Automata from Align Labs, the guys that released uh, Mistral Open Orca, which is a 7B fine-tune of Mistral that is better than the 65 billion parameter model, which is kind of incredible uh, to see. And there was a website that we're going to talk about that was announced, a boxing match between Llama and Mistral. It's just like a nice visual thing where you can, on the same question, you get two answers from both and you can select which one's better. We're definitely going to cover the whole voice-based wearable debate that happened over Twitter for the last week. So we've covered humane pin last Thursday, I, and since then this category of things just heated up. So. We had Avi Schiffman present Tab, he, the thing he worked on uh, in a demo in San Francisco. Tab is basically a device that lets you record. And then we saw a company Rewind, release the Rewind pendant, and actually a pre-order. And we're going to cover that drama and how that category of devices augment our, our LLMs with memory locally on device. So that's going to be very, very interesting. The additional thing in the voice category is a beautiful update to AirChat. And those of you who are not familiar with AirChat, we're going to 
cover what AirChat actually means. AirChat released this new feature where this is, I'll play you a soundbite hopefully soon, where you could talk in your native language. Supposedly it's not English, like it's mine. And then AirChat will actually clone your voice and then translate, and then we'll replay to the audience in whatever language they choose. So it's really, really, really cool. And I'll play you a sample and actually, uh, I see Peter in the audience, Peter has a tweet on this, so we'll pin this tweet. And now we're going to talk about uh, GPT-4 Vision and I have a diffusion thing to cover as well. And I think this is kind of the summary of the things we're going to talk about. Now let's actually talk about it. Welcome everyone to yet another Thursday Eye. Uh, Thursday Eye is this um, Twitter space that you're in. If you're listening to this later, you're probably on the podcast, uh, thursdayeye.news. And uh, thank you for being a subscriber. Thank you for joining every week as you hear me and several expert friends on stage talk about everything that happened in AI for the past week. Today is a bit of a interesting one for me. I've spent for the, probably the first the last week in San Francisco, uh, doing all kinds of different stuff that I'll probably share a little bit more on the podcast as I'm preparing to join Swix and some other folks from AI in the AI engineer conference next week. So actually next week is going to be, we may not have a recording next week on Thursday. I'm still figuring out the, the details, but there will be a few spaces next week. So if you follow my account, you follow AI.engineer, uh, I was actually ask from them to join the conference and hold spaces from there. So those will be probably Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, I will join several speakers there and hopefully pull them into, into spaces and talk about what they think an AI engineer is. And uh, many of you in the audience here are also part of that. So this is why I'm uh, in San Francisco. Today's episode is actually coming from this uh, beautiful little nook room that uh, Weights and Bias's office in San Francisco, they offered, uh, and I said, hey, let me, let me just do a podcast from here. So uh, I'm sitting in this uh, Soma, inside the arena, I think it's called, <laughs> in Weights and Bias's room. And yeah, hoping that the sounds are great, looks like soundproof. And uh, shout out to my friends at Weights and Bias's for this offer. This is really helpful for me to, to find the space. With that logistics out of the way, I just want to say hi to Junaid, who's now on stage. What's up, Junaid? Hey, what's happening, Alex? Good, 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 good. How are you, man? All doing pretty good. Just cranking away. I think Phoenix finally gave me access to Dolly 3 last night, so I've been playing around mm. with that some. I think, I think I've just gotten access as well, and I've been fuming because we've been covering this, what, two weeks ago, and, and GPT-4 Vision, I've been waiting for so long, and I still haven't gotten access, but that's all right. We're, we're all going to get to play with these, with these tools. Um, Awesome. So I, I guess let's start with, yeah, let's start with actually the thing that you sent me, Junaid. Um, Reka AI have announced the release of a new multimodal Yasa One model. So what do you, what do you think of this? What, what did they tell us and what, what could we actually test? I don't think they actually told us a whole lot other than mm. the, I think they trained it in six months and then did their like fine tuning and got their infrastructure set up to, to be able to run it. But yeah, it's apparently trained on text images, videos, sounds, and more. 
So who knows what the and more means, but yeah, it looks pretty interesting. And for them to be able to spin it up in six months is pretty fast. It seems to train a whole foundation model in, in six months without, without seeing how the sausage is made myself. That seems like a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. It's interesting to see kind of following up on Mistral from last week. Also folks who trained, they basically a very, very good foundation model and ramped up very quickly, just like releasing after that. Rec AI comes with this multimodal LLM and they say this, they trained it from scratch and not open sourcing it. Right. So I don't think it was released as open source. In fact, they did release like a demo or something. I registered that I got all the way to the, to the point where they asked me for an API token, but they're claiming it's a full fledged product. And I think they're specifically geared toward the enterprise. Everything that I saw is like enterprise ready, enterprise already, um, their multimodal thing is not a text assistant. So they, they claim to understand images and even short video and audio, which is very interesting. So we've talked about multimodal uh, attempts before. There was um, several open source kind of attempts at multimodal understandings. However, they were not necessarily connected with large language models. So you couldn't provide multimodal inputs to a large language model so far. The only effectively multimodal thing we saw was GPT-4 Vision, which is like at large scale. And now Yasa One is claimed to be this thing that understands even short videos, which I'm going to be very excited to test out, right? Short videos is super cool. And we started up, I've done like a lot of videos, short ones, and the way to understand videos is very interesting because you have to include the audio in those videos and to many, the audio in those videos means transcribe what people actually said, but it's not enough. I translated a bunch of stuff from, let's say the Ukraine war, and sometimes there's an explosion. It's not transcribable. So you actually have to have something that understands audio and sounds. And uh, they claim that this is what they have. And I'm very interested in to find this out. They also claim they have a code interpreter there and very interesting to see what they come up with. But I think basically, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. If you go to their website, they do have, it's like reca.ai. They've got kind of a scroll down that shows multimodal understanding. And then they show some stuff that is, they call explaining, explain, a, explain a, ge a geometry diagram. And it looks a lot like kind of the code interpreter or whatever we're calling it now, data analysis, as well as describing video content. So it, it looks, uh, pretty multimodal and, and they, they really everywhere kind of make the point to say that from the very get go, all the pre-training, everything is done in this multimodal way. So uh, I will say one thing that's going for them for sure is the addition of Yite as a chief scientist. I, I've been following you for a while. If you guys don't know who he is, very worth following. He, he was a senior researcher in Google brain, and then he worked in Palm too. Uh, he, he was co-lead on the modeling of Palto and, uh, Flan was also part of something that he, uh, was in charge of. I, I'm not sure how involved, but very involved. I remember him talking about Flan and Flan Excel and different like versions of Flan, oh, Flan, I guess, not Flan, <laughs> um, for a long time and Bard as well. So there's a very serious kind of person who joins chief scientists. And so it's not a huge surprise, but it's still very impressive that they trained the foundational model that's multimodal in such a short time. So yeah, Janet, I agree. Going to the website, checking out the 
the examples, even if you're not planning to use their model, I think it's very imagination unlocking to check out the examples to see what a multi-model can look like and what it can achieve. So yeah, hoping that I'll get an API key to play with. If folks from, from Reckon are listening to this, hey, give us some API keys, folks. If you're in the audience and you know someone there and you want us to cover your friends, we, we need access to be able to do that. But with that, let's move to the next, to the next thing. Okay. So Google, the guys who very recently in Google IO stood on stage and said AI 48 times, and then since then tried to shove AI everywhere have actually kept on their promise. Right. So we've seen AI inside Gmail. We've seen AI inside Google Docs. There's AI that they've shoved pretty much everywhere into their big project. And some of them haven't changed in years. And this definitely feels like Google is trying to reclaim its rightful place at the top of the AI pyramid, given that transformers came out of Google. And uh, they announced the new phones and a bunch of other stuff. So that's not very interesting, at least as, as we are kind of covering the AI stuff. They did announce that they're going to add Bard to Google Assistant. And so that's very interesting because of the, generally the whole idea of a helpful AI comes to us with, it needs to meet us where we are, right? It needs to be actually helpful. And to many people, this means the assistant that lives on device and native integration definitely feels more native than opening a chat GPT app. And I think that it's very. It's very telling that Apple still haven't improved Siri a lot. And, you know, in the last Apple release, they said, oh yeah, Siri now knows these five new things it can do. <laughs> Literally on the, on the stage, they said, Siri can now help you track this and this and this. Whereas why isn't that general? And so it looks like Google is deciding to finally kind of expand the capabilities of Google Assistant uh, with Bard. And they said multiple things can be done, like helping you translate some stuff and, and work on documents. Uh, very interesting. Again, it joins this incredible push of adding LLM capabilities pretty much on a native level to many, many, many places. So last week we talked about Meta, adding AI chatbots to 3 billion people, to, to WhatsApp, through Messenger, through Instagram. I actually talked with a few. It's pretty cool. It's very fast as well. If it's based on Llama, it's very impressive. You can talk with AI characters through Messenger or WhatsApp. And now we're getting Google who's integrating Bard into Google Assistant, which basically means we're returning to the same question. Where is Apple? Where is Apple? I think there was some announcement about the local thing with Google, but I'm not sure. And so I, I don't know, Nisten and Jeanette, if you had the chance to follow the Google announcements and see if there's anything uh, very interesting additionally to the Bard implementation. And if not, we can just say uh, that we noticed it and move on. Go ahead, Mr. Yeah. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. So someone put it really well last week was that Google is the kind of company that can make big moves very slowly. And this whole thing of putting Bard everywhere is, is a big move on their part. And also they do, they do have quite a lot in terms of, they've done quite a lot in terms of infrastructure. It's just people have been disappointed on Google from having a lack of being preoccupied with how the user feels. And uh, this is where you see the, the, the weird differences. So for example, if you go on GCP, 
you can't even get a chatbot working. It will make you fill out a, a form of sales like you're in the mid-90s. And it will make you do it multiple times. So they have no preoccupation with like how the customer feels or how the user in some regards. And other products like Colab or Firebase, the experience is excellent. So that's the strange things that we've seen from Google is that they, they both have huge capabilities, but also really under deliver on them. So it'll be quite interesting to see how BART plays out and whether it will be able to compete with people running local models, which are becoming better and better by the day and are actually better than BART at the moment. But again, the other thing to keep in mind is that when it comes to the actual market and revenue, Google still has most of the revenue on the market. So even though BART can be bad and every local model can completely beat it, and completely beat it on privacy and user experience and, and everything, it'll still be a lot more useful just because of how much market share and how many users it has. So again, this there's a, there are like too many big moving variables here, which makes it hard to predict where it's going to go in, in that regard. Thanks, Nistan. I think also just native integration into devices where like it's a one click away and suddenly people will start speaking with AI, whereas previously they had to download an app register to open AI. It's also going to mean a huge kind of exploration to many, many people who previously were like, oh no, this is not for me. What is this AI thing? And so definitely we've seen more and more from this, from Meta, from Microsoft, from Google. And yeah, I agree. Bard is not amazing. <laughs> Even though they keep improving this, the last improvement we talked about, like Bard extensions, was also kind of very interesting implemented, but not very helpful, at least from my tests. But I'm sure they're doing, like like you said, huge moves slowly, and they're turning the ship around as a huge ship. There's many, many PMs in Google. <laughs> this is, they have a lot of private. I'm making a joke because I have a friend who's a PM in there, and they're over-PMing many things, but definitely delivering this to users eventually to the global scope of user thing is going to be impactful. And Google is one of the top companies, like seriously, not only gave us transformer, there's a bunch of other stuff, not to mention many of the people who work on open source, who work on different things like Yite on, on Yasa one, they actually grew up in Google brain. And so the talent from there is also going on and doing different things later. All right. So yeah, I have, I have one, one more on Google. So they, we know they are training Gemini and they are putting five times more computer stuff. Uh, one thing to keep in mind for folks in the audience is that TPUs and GPUs are not really all that different together. And the software stack of Google and Jax is actually pretty good. It works. People like it. So, so they are quite useful in that regard. Another thing to keep in mind, things can change quickly is because Google has a lot of uh, voice hardware and very good voice hardware in the form of the, the Google Homes and, and Google Home memes. They, they sold millions and millions of those. So those are already out. The mics work, the speakers work. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are about to become a lot, a lot more useful because of this. And yeah, now the, uh, the interesting part about local models is again, they'll have to compete with open source models that also run locally now. Uh, and uh, the other thing is that uh, their flagship, which is going to be the Gemini model, it's not the architecture of it still looks like it's very monolithic. 
it's not like you can really spread out like a, a mixture of the experts ecosystem or like the those ideas. So that's not really suitable to own device. It's still going to be very API dependent. But yeah, again, it, it will be, it's pretty hard to call what's going to happen. They're just like too many. I think it's a great call out that maybe this is part of the frustration. We're waiting for Gemini. We heard so much about Gemini. We even speculated that Gemini kind of upcoming release is the reason why OpenAI started like releasing like crazy. DALI, GPT-4 Vision, GPT Voice, like all these things. We speculated that this comes because of the rumor of Gemini coming out very soon. And I think we saw multiple other hints and clues towards Gemini being released soon. So I definitely agree. We're, we're all waiting for this like huge, and Gemini is supposed to be also multimodal, at least to some extent. So we're waiting for this like huge drop from Google. And on the way there, I think another point that you make and I want to highlight is they sold millions of hardware devices that sit in people's homes and they are, they have microphones, they have voice activation. And now potentially all those devices are now way smarter because of the Google assistant is joining with Bard, but you know, replacing the Bard part with the Gemini part is something that Google is definitely able to do. And that's like millions of people who potentially never used something like an LLM before. And now it's going to be actually useful for them. It's very exciting to see how they'll integrate this because specifically because the not the rumors, but this, as far as we've discussed Apple and why Apple didn't integrate LLMs and make Siri better is because hallucinations and different tasks LLMs can go wrong in many ways as you ask them. And everybody's already frustrated with Siri not doing the thing they want and Siri's scope of capability is limited. Given an LLM there, it's opening up the scope of capabilities, but also scope of mistakes. So it's going to be very interesting how that works in the context of a personal assistant. But it's definitely going there, and Google's moving us there hardware-wise, and we're looking for Gemini. Come on, Google. If, if you're in the audience, Google, give us Gemini. Give us a sneak preview. All right. I think we're moving on to the next thing. I just want to acknowledge Safrir. Hey, Safrir, how are you doing? Very good. Thank you for, sorry for being late. I was busy on an AI-generated art piece that I will be presenting at the party tomorrow. It will function as a VJ for the event. And over the next few weeks, I will also be able to show online what I'm working on. I think I heard you talk about this. I'm very excited to see how that turns out. And thank you for joining us in the middle of working on this. Uh, I'm very excited to see how this works. All right. So the next thing that we want to talk about this is a smaller company, not yet big, but I want to talk about a browser company from New York and their art browser and the new AI features they just added. I will go ahead and pin a tweet on top as I'm speaking about this as well. But basically, I think so far we've had just one AI fused browser, which was Edge to be able to use the Bing chat, right? <laughs> and for the longest time, in order to use Bing chat, you had to use Edge browser. And it's actually decent. It's really decent. The longest time from the AI standpoint, the feature in Bing that I really enjoyed was the side pen with Bing chat. There's a setting you can turn on. I think maybe at some point it's turned on by default where it has access to the window that you're browsing. So you'd be able to ask Bing chat, which is basically GPT-4, right? Uh, there's now a checkbox, but it's GPT-4 about summarize me the page that I'm browsing on, right? And so 
you probably seen all the startups that do chat with website extensions, et cetera. This is built into a browser. And so our browser is the browser that I switched for a long time. And everybody was like, hey, where's the AI stuff? This innovative browser, everybody's innovating in AI, including huge companies that previously moved very slowly. Where is your AI stuff? And so they, they thought about multiple, multiple things to release. And I think they ended with a few significant, significant things in their browser. And so they just released it. And if you use Arc, you already probably know, but if you don't know the way to enable them, they called it Arc Max, I think. Uh, it's still free, but I have a feeling that this would be their way to monetize maybe these like additional features that maybe only power users use. But basically they have two significant features and the rest of them are like small, but like nice enhancements. The first Max feature, is this feature they called five second link previews. And I've been to the top of the space uh, video of mine recording this, but I'll just tell you here. Basically, you can hold shift and hover every link to an external website. They will go to that website. They will take the contents, run it to an LLM, summarize this and start showing you within five seconds what is in that link. So the example they gave, and I think somebody, somebody saw, imagine like a huge list of links, like a hacker news top, right? There's so many there. And usually you open like a bunch of tabs, etc. cetera. Uh, so they basically allow you to hold shift, hover a link, and within five seconds, you'll start spitting out kind of a summary of uh, it's fairly decent summary, a short one of what that link is about. And I think that's a very awesome use of a native browser. And I've been using this since. It's starting to get like a feel to me. It's basically it's just a feel. I'm not sure about this at all, but it starts to get the feel to me that this is going to be a feature that I'm going to use without even thinking about this because it's just so awesome. Just like previewing a link. Uh, unfortunately, X links don't work because of <laughs> Papa Elon blocking X to external people. So uh, that does not work. You can't like summarize tweets. I wish it could. But it's still very cool for stuff like Hacker News, for Gmail stuff. If somebody sends you a link and you're not sure you want to click this, it just gives you like a nice little summary with AI. And I'm very, very happy because of this. Like, it's a fairly innovative thing. I haven't seen this before, maybe in the Chrome extension. The second feature they have is a similar to what Bing had with the sidebar, where it understands the context of the page. They just went about this differently. So they actually baked it into the command F, right? So sometimes some of us use command F or control F, sorry, for Windows folks uh, to search the website for any specific keywords. They now have a fallback where you search something and there's no keywords. You basically can ask questions and the AI window will start showing you answers like summarization, like specific things from the context using the context of the window including translated context. So this works on like Chinese websites, et cetera. And you can just like keep asking questions about the contents of the page that you're on. So I don't have any details about the context window with which they're doing this, right? It would be not making sense necessarily. It would not be very useful if you don't do this on like a huge PDF file, for example. But from the very limited amount of examples that I've tried it on, it works really well. So here's some of the examples I tried on. I tried on a long tweet, all in Chinese, to ask it to summarize and translate. It did beautifully. And I know because this this was a translation itself. So I know like the source as well. I tried it on a on an article. And actually, now thinking about this, remember how I told you guys that um, a streaming LLM is not what we need to talk about, but I have no idea about what this means. I will just go here and do command F as we're here and just ask, 
summarize this, please. This, please, for my audience. So I just typed command F on this, on the actual GitHub page of Streaming LLM. And it says, describe, this website describes Streaming LLM, a framework that enables large language models, train the finite potential window to generate coherent text for it. Yeah, it, it basically, it just gives you the summary, right? You don't know how this works. Basically, instead of going and pasting the whole copy paste into ChatGPT, it's built into the browser. So this is going to the same trend that we've talked about before, where more of these tools are being built into native platforms. Either it's your Google Assistant, either it's your browser, your Windows, your Messenger. Actually, very interesting debate in terms of like locally powered open source LLMs versus built-in native mode entrenched modes for many users. So definitely worth checking out. I think the other feature they have AI-wise is the renaming tabs for you. If you're bookmarking tabs, they'll rename a tab. And something about organizing the downloads folder, which is, sounds interesting, but I haven't tested. So if you don't use Arc, even without the AI features, my strong recommendation is use Arc browser. It's great. I think I have a few videos on this on my uh, channel. If you if you commit to this for a week, it's hard to change browsers. But if you commit to this for a week, I promise you, you'll, you'll, you'll have a, a good time. And now it's even AI enhanced. I think, yeah, I think that's basically it. The last feature they have is to be able to start asking ChatGPT with something. They basically have a shortcut. You write a question. It lands you inside ChatGPT interface. It opens a new tab and just like injects this question into the interface, which I thought was interesting. Not very innovative, but interesting that it's built into a browser because I don't have, I don't know if they have an official integration with OpenAI. Those are the five Arc Max features coming at you. And I think that's time to... Let folks on stage react to this. Maybe if you use Arc and you've tested this and you feel that this is worth worth talking about. And if not, I think we can move towards our next open source LLM discussion. All right, let's move towards. Oh yeah, go ahead, Safir. Well, just to echo the importance of having this at some point connected to a local LLM, as you're seeing more and more services of chat with some kind of personal private data, more and more uh, privacy leaks and issues may arise. And I think as an industry, we all want everything to be safest as possible. And of course, the safest possible is keep it local. Yeah, that's, that's going to be very interesting how features that are built into browsers, features that are built into assistants are actually whether or not they'll they'll see the need to move or the ability to move to something like what what we're following on the open source LMs, the on device inference, like all these things. And again, bringing up Apple, I think if if there's anything that Apple already showed us that they're doing like the voice cloning on device, it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to provide like a in infrastructure layer OS wide for apps and app developers to run local LLMs based on their LLM on like the OS layer, then people will not have to, like people, developers may not have to pay for API calls, which will make them switch. This could be one path towards like local, not necessarily local and open source, but local. All right. I want to then, I think it's a fair thank you. This is a beautiful segue towards moving us to open source and LLM discussion. And we have a few things here. I just wanted to say something about the. The, the browser is that the, the beautiful thing about it becomes that as a developer, whether you're going to run something 
in, uh, as long as we build something for uh, WebGPU and WebGL, which support is becoming more and more prevalent, you can write your software or your AI, whatever, for the browser, for the client side, and then grab the same code and use it server side and scale it to as many instances as you need and on any device. So you could do it on an Intel chip or an ARM and you just, you just write one piece of code. So that's the, the beautiful thing that's being enabled. And yeah, shout out, to, shout out to the maintainers like Arthur that are actually building all the foundation for this to happen. So once that becomes, and it is becoming easy to use and easy to deploy, it's just gonna catch on like fire. For example, people are starting to realize how easy it is to integrate Whisper into your app. And, and that's, that's what they're gonna do. They're not gonna do custom browser, custom OS. They're still gonna do that, but it's just much, much easier for you to put it on a web app. The web app is installable. You could have it mobile on your screen. You could have it on your desktop. It's just a website. It runs at almost the same speed or close to. So yeah, but the, the thing is that you need smaller models and more performant models. And those are just starting to become available like Microsoft's Phi 1.5B. And yeah, so those, you get to the territory where you're under two gigs of RAM of utilization for the model versus right now, if you want to run a, a 7B LLM on most computers, it's just going to take up all your RAM. And it's gonna, it doesn't leave that much room for everything else. So, so we're getting there. I think that adoption is, is just gonna catch on like crazy all of a sudden, but for now it'll still be a little bit slow. So uh, you mentioned Arthur, I just want to make sure uh, Arthur is joining us on stage. Arthur, uh, feel free to introduce it briefly. And uh, I think you had a, something moved you to join us and, and, and uh, re react. So go ahead, Arthur, and then we'll get to Junaid. Uh, hi, my name is Arthur and I'm doing the WebGPU stuff. I've launched the, I've launched the stable diffusion in the browser recently, not with TDM compiler, but with pure OM and X runtime. And yesterday I have finally loaded stable diffusion Excel in the browser, in the browser, but. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. It doesn't work yet because I need to update, update the pipeline, pipeline code. So, because it has two text encoders and some tensors, um, some more inputs, I guess I will figure it out in the next few days and see how it works. Um, I wanted to say that, and now I saw that, uh, stable diffusion Excel runs on Google TPU units very fast. So I guess there might be a slight problem with market segmentation as you need to, uh, there is no, uh, web GPU support for that things. So you'll still need to do different code if you want to run it in Google cloud on those things or anywhere else. And the other thing which is lacking in web GPU right now is quantization support because it has only 32 bit integers. It doesn't have smaller integers, smaller data types, and it might be very tricky to, uh, make it work with smaller models because even right now, if you want to launch it with floating point 16 on windows, you will need to install windows SDK or 
Bitrix Shader compiler. So it is very inconvenient for the user to do that stuff. And we cannot go beyond that to have smaller data types. But I guess with time, with adoption of machine learning and web GPU in browsers, they might do some new data types to support all of that. But it will require some major work from DirectX, from Metal, and from what else it supports, Locom, because it is based on those graphic APIs. So it might take quite a lot of time to implement all that, to allow loading very small models and running them. Thank you, Arthur. So just a kind of a summary where using models through the web or using WebGPU and stuff, we're starting to see very great promise there, but the road is still interesting. Specifically, it comes to quantization to be able to use smaller precision models through those things. And definitely it's a concern because people are downloading these models somehow, either dragging them after downloading them on their machine, dragging them onto the window, or the website actually downloads it for them. And yeah, smaller models are needed. We're, we've been following this field with Transformers.js and WebGPU for a while in terms AI, and it's great to see progress there, but as I hear you, uh, the unification of whether, depending on which hardware you use right now, it's easy to write code, but in the web, you kind of, you have to rely that this code is going to uh, run on all devices where the browser runs, and that needs involvement from all the uh, Vulkan folks and, and different people. And definitely asking folks to install the Windows SDK is not a very easy user experience for FP16, so I hear you. It will need some more work. I'll, I want to get to Junaid to see if uh, you have a comment on this before we're moving forward. Oh, I just, when Nistin was talking about the, the RAM requirements coming down and being able to, to run models locally, I was, mm. I was just going to say, it's been kind of interesting to watch my old Intel Mac choke down, like it's basically maxing out its, its capabilities and have to shut everything else off to run like Mistral using Olama, but it does it. So yeah, if we can see some of those local models coming down to more, more modest requirements for memory, I. I'd love to see that. Although I know, I know, get myself a Mac M M2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Arthur, go ahead um, and then we'll move to the open source. Yeah, have you seen that tweet from someone who launched Stable Diffusion XL on Raspberry Pi 2 with just Ooh. 300 megabit, oh. megabytes of RAM? <laughs> and one image was generating for about 11 hours, but it Actually, ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it actually works. Yeah, just let me find the chance. Andy. Yeah, please, please share it with, with the stage. Uh, so SDXL, Arthur, the thing that you mentioned, the first SDXL inference with Jackson TPUs uh, is also on top. I've seen this. I didn't give it much attention, but it's very interesting that it generates like super fast. And I want to move on to... Llama and Mistral. So last week we talked about Mistral, this company from France, three folks, ex, I think Meta, and some other folks who raised like a bunch of money. And then a bunch of people said, oh, this is hype. This is a bubble. You raise money with no you know, product. And then they showed us basically no hype, no nothing. In four or five months, they scaled and released open source fully Apache 2 and committed to open sourcing a model that everybody, it's their new darling. So I think it's fair to say that Mistral has been um, shot its way 
to the top of the charts in terms of like how many open source aficionados like us love open source LLMs. Mistral released a 7B model that outperformed out of the gate like Llama 13B. And um, it was very exciting to see the folks who usually frequent the Thursday Eye, the fine tuners, like news research and alignment labs and all those folks start to like shake their hands in anticipation of how, how much their unique data sets on top of this infrastructure for Mistral is going to do uh, wonders. And so I've seen one additional highlight here about Mistral from Andre Karpathy. He added Mistral as one of the great kind of uh, open source versus the closed source in one of his tweets. So he definitely already like looks at Mistral and says, okay, these, these folks know what they're doing. And um, it's actually kind of interesting because it joins what we talked about with Junaid about Reka. Also significant folks from the big labs also open, uh, opening up their own startups and uh, training foundation models fairly quick. And uh, Mistral 7B you can try out in this boxing LLM boxing thing. So if you scroll up to one tweet to the right, the uh, a tweet from Charlie Holtz is actually comparing Mistral 7B with Lama, I think, 13B. Yeah, Lama 13B. And this is a no-brainer. It looks like just user preference and everything. Mistral 7B is just given a better, better answers. And then, so many folks started kind of talking about Mistral. And I think it was grabbing like top of the charts in terms of what people into, uh, add this to. The folks from Perplexity added Mistral chat to their chat and it just, it was great to see. It's also great to see that this model that's released with Apache 2 license, how much the community picks it up and how important is a good license, commercially viable license for these models because as they're getting smaller, it's not enough that they're getting smaller. If you want to deploy them in a commercial context, you also have to look at the license. Um, right. So here are a few folks from the community, friends of the pod who did fine tunes and I want to, I want to find a few tweets for this. So Dignium who released multiple, multiple models before has released Hermes is like the main, the main models and data sets that, uh, that Dignium was behind. He's also part of news research. He, I think released Mistral trained on the co collective cognition v1 collective cognition is something is a website that uh, news research and techno released where you can upload your gpt4 listen uh, you want to cover collective cognition yeah collective it's it's a site for people to just dump their their chats in so and uh, you just dump your chat gpt docs and the good the interesting thing about it is that they are very well selected chats and they're all multi-turn conversations and the interesting, the extremely interesting thing here is that if you look at the scores, and I, I yeah, I posted this in the beginning. One, Skunk Works AI, where I was working on while I was with him, and uh, News Research, the, the full one, with their open data set, which you can get from Hugging Face. So you put the News Research in that Hugging Face, and the Alignment Labs Open Archive. They're all very, very different data sets. And they all got the same uh, QA score, almost the same. But then when Technium tried to do something with only about 100 or so, I think 180 conversations, but very high quality ones, it started scoring higher. And this is a very interesting result because it was trained very little. And I have yet to, to go over these, but it, it could prove 
because it was only literally trained for three minutes and it showed such a huge improvement in, in scores. So we don't know whether the data set happens to be pretty close to the benchmarks or this is just another new uh, way to do it. Because again, we saw this way back with the Stanford's alpaca where Everyone thought that it takes so long and millions of dollars to train these, but it, it only took like, they did it like $600. And, and just uh, reflecting yeah. on what you're saying is like, it's kind of surprising how a good data set connecting to a, a very interesting architecture of an open source model without training for a long time. Like you said, literally three minutes, like literally three minutes improves on a truthful QA. Is that right? Yeah. And I haven't looked at the other benchmarks or done a thorough test myself i'm also i'm using mistral i'm, I'm just using the, mm -hmm. the plain one for now i really like it because i found the early benchmarks kind of reduce some of the conversational ability so again it's the best model now and that's what everyone's trying to around it's the best model that we got like a month after the, the other best model. And it seems like they're not stopping. I think they've announced that they're going to release even I think this fall and winter more models from Mistral. And again, shout out to Guillaume and folks in Mistral. If you want to join us and talk about your releases, you're welcome. And I will just say this thing about Collective Cognition. It's a website called collectivecognition.ai. It's uh, linked on the show notes and the top of the stage. If you guys have super cool chat GPT conversations of your own, it's super helpful to Technium News Research and everybody in the open source community to build those as a data set. So please check out collectivecognition.ai. And then you can just like go to ChatGPT, share, literally share a conversation. There's like a share button there. Copy this link and dump it to Collective Cognition. It really helps build those like very good data sets, specifically because Winston said they include like good conversation with multi-turn back-to-back kind of back and forth. And how should I say, let's all distill GPT-4. <laughs> yeah, let's all, let's all talk about this. So, so this is one thing that this was released uh, based on Mistral. And the other thing, like I think Nisten also mentioned, is uh, Mistral Open Orca. So we've talked about Alignment Labs and Open Orca multiple times. We had, if you're listening to this in a podcast form, you're welcome to scroll back. I think a few weeks ago, we had a conversation with the Open Orca team and the Platypus team, and then they joined forces to, 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 to get us the best 13B model back then. And so I just want to highlight this one point where given how these things were working, where a good language model requires like good training in advance, like we saw with Mistral, but it also requires good data sets in addition. And those can be combined with different techniques like lures and, and, and fine tune the different training techniques. It's really, really exciting to see how fast people who've been working on this are able to turn around and use whatever they already kind of built on top of other infrastructure. It really is exciting. So in the beginning of the week, there was like a few days that Technium kind of wasn't sure or saw some errors with the training uh, Mistral. I think those were solved. And uh, again, some some friends of the pod, Anton Bakaj has trained some, uh, I think, star coder on top of Mistral. It's really great to see how much the open source community picks up kind of the new tools and runs with them. And I think Yam and the previous, uh, Yam Pelag, uh, our resident AI <laughs> scientist, data scientist, said in the previous uh, space that incremental changes, like few basis points of this core, that core are not what's interesting uh, for us. What's interesting is that use the model that's easier for you, but definitely it, when a new foundational model, when a new infrastructure model comes out, everybody jumps on this, it looks 
very, very good to see. And so Open Orca from Alignment Labs is based on Mistral 7B and it scores over <laughs> better overall than many other models over 30, 30B. I want to say 13 and maybe my accent is confusing, like 30, 30, right? This 7B model that is able to run on your machine, on most machines, uh, with a single GPU that's uh, probably going to be, it's probably going to be quantized super quick by folks like the bloke and different people to make it even smaller. Uh, that's probably going to be able to run on web GPU soon uh, via the efforts of Arthur and some other folks. This the small model that is outscoring like 13B models and comes very, very close to Llama 70B. It comes to like 90%, 98% of Lava 70B performance. Uh, and I think, you know, just awesome to see this progress from week to week, basically state of the art. And to speak a little bit about this, I want to welcome Luigi on stage, LDJ, welcome. Feel free to introduce yourself and uh, let's talk about Mistral for a bit. Yeah. Sorry. I was like checking like 30 minutes ago. I was wondering like when it's starting. I didn't realize it's already been happening for an hour. <laughs> it's all good. But yeah. So. For Mistral, yeah, doing a lot of experiments with Capybara and stuff like that. And me and Technium are kind of going a lot back and forth, trying to see the best way to fine tune on this and having a lot of success with Alora and Qlora, which if for those unfamiliar, that's pretty much just, usually it's looked at as a more efficient method of fine tuning, but now we're kind of looking at it as potentially more of, actually might lead to higher quality results than full fine tuning in the first place. So that's exciting. And let's put a bookmark on this and maybe talk about this at more length next week, because I definitely want to hear about this effort of figuring out higher quality based on techniques. Sure. Just to wrap up on that, I was just going to say tech recently, the collective cognition data set, which is pretty much just a website you can go to and contribute some chat GPT chats, just like a hundred high quality examples of those ended up training on that with Laura and having like really good results, like kind of beating even think Airboros and some stuff with like only a hundred examples. So looking really exciting. Yeah. Well, just before you joined, we asked everybody in the audience to uh, contribute to open uh, cognition and we re-ask again because you guys see how important. Oh, nice. Is. Okay. Uh, let's, yeah. Let's all work on this data set together. Awesome. Thank you for joining Luigi. Um, mm -hmm. Thoughts on just gut feeling on Mistral as, as you were using this, uh, in addition to also fine tuning with copy bar data sets and working with tick. Thoughts on the fact that we only got this what, a week ago, we're just covering this a week ago. And since then, kind of the open source community kind of, it looks like adopted Mistral very quick. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. And I think it did help from the fact that it does like a lot of aspects of it make it kind of easier to implement in like the existing frameworks than maybe Quen or internet LM and things like that. So just from that standpoint, it is kind of like easier to add support for, but I think just in terms of actual benchmarks and capabilities and everything, yeah, I think it definitely looks like for now, at least for at, hopefully at least the next few weeks, it's the clear option to train models on. Awesome. And yeah, next, next few weeks may bring some new things <laughs> exactly. as, as, as we're sitting here, we may see new things. All right. Now that you've joined, I have a task for you. And before that, I want to get to Arthur and then uh, Luigi, I would love to chat with you about uh, streaming LLM, if you're familiar, uh, because that's also something that came up and I didn't have the time to, to go in this. Uh, Arthur, go ahead. Yeah, I tried the Misral model and I think it was the first model which I've tried from open source LLMs and I was 
a bit disappointed, maybe because it was a quantized version or maybe because I was expecting too much from it. Like, as you know, everyone was very excited and amazed when ChatGPT 3.5 just released. And now everything that is behind 4 version is just not as good as, four, as version 4. So is it really good, like from stuff that you are doing then? from your perspective. I've just tried two different things to run some, to make some Python code and to make some Rust code, but the results were not that good. Not that's what I expected. So the Mistral base model itself, I'm not sure if you used the instruct fine tune they made or just the base model, but the base model that is like kind of the more important thing, it's not really meant to be used by itself. It's more of just something that has a lot of potential for people to make chat models out of, which is like that fine-tuned process. But the base model itself, it's really just kind of trained for like chat completion. It's not really intended or trained to be used as like a chatting model. So you'll kind of like, I recommend there's a, a model called, I think Alex was just talking about it, Open Orca Mistral, or if you try Cynthia Mistral, and that's like with an S, S, I, or sorry, S, Y, N-T-H-I-A, and Miguel created that model. And both of those are just actually like taking Mistral and then adapting it to be used in a chat format. So that's probably what you want to try out. Yeah. Yeah, I tried the instruct one, but yeah, I will try those ones too. I want to say in terms of code as well, Arthur, a friend of the pod, Anton Bakaj, he's working on fine-tuned of different code models. And I think I saw, I couldn't find it while we were talking, maybe I'll find it later. I think I saw somebody release a actual, like a co-pilot competitor that runs locally on your computer that uses, I, I don't think it's Mistral yet, but I think he's using some version of Llama to, to, to do this locally. And I think he's working on the Mistral version of that as well. And I think fine-tuned on code specifically will also come. However, what I saw before on Mistral, just like benchmarks wise, that it achieves very significant performance, even compared to Llama code. I think uh, Luigi, we spoke about this last week, right? But it comes second to just the base Llama code without you know, continued fine tuning. So we'll definitely see improvements here with folks with like data sets and Anton is like the goal to, to follow there. So definitely check out his work if you want to use this um, um, large language model kind of local for code things. Nothing comes close to GPT-4 for multiple reasons. And so when I test these things, basically my framework is I have a few tests in, in terms of translation. I have a few tests in my kind of just like logic scope and everything. I don't treat open source models and GPT-4 the same way because I know like just the amount of work and the amount of money and power and data sets are just not, not in the same realm. So I have like a... I have two personal Alex benchmarks for GPT-4 and, and even 3.5 and everything else we see from the open source. And uh, just kind of not to get disappointed because comparison is the thief of joy. And if I compare all the time, I'm not going to be able to enjoy like the incredibly fast progress in open source as well. But I hear you, like it, it's really hard to get to a point where GPT-4 is just incredible and everything is measured toward that. And this is the, the goal, the North Star. And until we get like, some advancement from them as well. Go ahead, Janet. Yeah, I've checked out Mistral and kind of run some of my, I, I have prompts like tell me about kangaroos and some other ones that sort of, or uh, I ask for various types of recipes and 
all sorts of simple, simple things as well as uh, a few code exercises. And Mistral didn't do very great on my asking for some Swift code, but it did pretty good on most of my other stuff. I found that its answers were as good or better than Llama 2 on various recipes and various tell me about kangaroos and tell me about a number of other topics that that I kind of checked back and forth. And yeah, I, I got to say just straight Mistral was for most stuff other than code. It was it was pretty good. And I don't know if I had asked it to do Python, it might have been just as good at, at that as Llama 2. But I pretty much only work in Swift. So I just asked for a little bit of that. And it, it didn't do very good compared to to Llama 2 or obviously compared to GPT-4. So it's, it's pretty funny now that when comparing benchmarks, it's all the people we know with three and four out of five. And yeah, I've, I've been using it quite a bit. I found it responds very well to prompt engineering. Again, you got to keep in mind that this is literally a model that will just fit in an actual DVD. Like it will fit on a DVD. And uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it responds very well to being adapted for a particular task. I'll say that is probably the best one for now. I found it pretty good for uh, bash and just general conversation. Uh, I didn't try to really generate that much code. I'm going to try Anton's uh, SFP one because that one is trained specifically for that. And uh, yeah, no, overall, I've, uh, I've been using it. If you're going to use a GGRF version, I'd recommend even the Q4KS is actually okay. But for anything else, unless you're hardware constrained, stick with Q5KM or Q6. And then you, you should be good. Again, those are five and six gigs about. So they're, they're, they're pretty good. Yeah, I, I missed them. I it's, it's, like a, it. it's a good reframe that. We're even talking about a 7B model if it's a one GPU, that it's not as good as like this huge beast of a thing that runs on like how many, God knows how many GPUs and OpenAI kind of like vast, vast user base. I think it's a, like a, actually like we're framing it like this way. I think it's a good, good idea. All right, uh, folks, I want to move on and actually to acknowledge that it's been an hour that we've been here and I just want to re set the space kind of so everybody who joined in the middle thank you for joining you're joining thursday i this is the live recording there's a newsletter and a podcast following this and we usually here every week to talk about everything that happened in ai we have a kick we have a, a love a passion for open source and uh, open source communities and open source LLM specifically. And we have, like Nissan said, multiple folks on the top of the charts for open source LLMs, our dear friends of the pod, uh, Luigi uh, uh, from News Research, I see Pharrell in the audience, Technium, who we've mentioned as well with Open Cognition, and many other folks like Alignment Labs. It's, it's a great space to kind of discover the cutting, leading edge of open source LLMs, but also we cover basically everything else from big company updates and APIs and to vision and voice and different things. And I'm joined on stage every every week, basically, with experts from different fields. We have Nistin here as a resident hacker uh, extraordinaire working on some beautiful things who we, he will announce soon once he's ready. We have Arthur, the web GPU slinger, and the guy who, because of him and going forward with his work, we're all going to be able to run models on the, on the web without sending API calls. We have Junaid, our resident, how should I say? Junaid. You want to introduce yourself, but basically Junaid is the newcomer. Resident, new, resident newbie. I 
jump, jumped in and started learning. Yeah. So Junaid actually has joined like Thursday uh, weeklies for a long time. And since then he released a few apps using ChatGPT to help him code and actually release apps to the app store and they started organizing the Denver's AI meetups. And it's great to, to see this experience as well. We're joined by Luigi, who obviously is part of news research and is a, our resident AI person as well to, to, to help us talk about different yeah, infrastructures and fine tunes, uh, fine tunes and data sets. And Sofria, our resident, I won't say AI art and voice and vision kind of person. That, that's correct. That's a good summary. So we basically have a whole host of folks here who joined me. I'm the host to talk about all kinds of stuff about AI. And if you find this interesting, but you don't have the time to join the live one, you're welcome to, to check out the podcast. And if you are listening to this and in the podcast and you're driving, please drive safe. With that, we will continue to the second segment, which is very exciting for me to, to cover. So let's move on to the next exciting thing. We're going to have fun talking about this because the voice category this week is blowing up. There's so much stuff happening with just your voice this week that I think it's very, very exciting to, to, to cover. All right, let's talk about voice. Last week, we've talked about just briefly about Humane. This company was co-founded by Imran Khan, exited Apple. I think he worked on the first iPhone and they've raised an ungod ungodly amount of money to work on something that they haven't showed anyone. And we've covered this multiple times, I think in our offline space or non-recorded spaces as well. And they recently... Last week, they actually showed a prototype of their, what's called a pin, an AI device that sits and pins to your lapel, has a camera, has a voice microphone, has a speaker, and also has a projector and projects their interface into your hand. So without holding like a phone, you'd be able to interact with this. We had this, <laughs> we had opinions on both sides of whether or not this could work. Uh, so I'm not going to go into those opinions. I will just highlight that this specific thing was just an opening shot of all these assistants that actually join you in the real world. I want to maybe focus here on two trends that we've seen and we've talked about on Thursday for a long time. The multimodality trend, which we've kind of saw with GPT-4 Vision back in March, and now we, we already kind of, most of us have access to GPT-4, not the host, but many people in the audience, and I'm, I'm waiting for mine, but I definitely saw how many people will pick up on the GPT-4 Vision stuff because it's just incredible. And I, we've talked about the fact that AI assistants can be as helpful as possible via just text, but until they join us in the real world, they're not going to be like fully helpful. And so one of the main things that Humane released with their pin is they showed the demo of, he had the demo on the dead stage where he holds like a nutrition bar, he turns it over and says, hey, hey, AI, can I eat this? And it scans, like it reads with vision, the ingredient and says, no, you're allergic to like soy or something, right? And this is a, an example of a very helpful AI agent that's not locked in the realm of text. And so Humane released theirs. For a weird design reason, they released their first like demos on the stage of a Paris fashion show, which I was like, what? This, this makes not a lot of sense, but fine. And then we saw during the same week, I think the same day or the day after, we saw somebody from San Francisco, Avi Schiffman, who's working on Tab release his demo. And uh, I wanted Avi to be here, but he's probably busy, but maybe he'll join. But basically Tab is this pendant that you wear, like a necklace, you wear this like thing, with, it has a microphone. And the demo that Avi showed was a great demo. I think it like blew up on Twitter. You may have seen them. Um, where basically this Tab thing that sits on you, it's like a, you bend it, you wear it everywhere you go. 
and you just talk, you talk, let's say I'm talking right now, right? On Thursday, I, and I'm recording, or I'm talking with somebody who I met and mentioned their name, or I'm looking at my fridge and saying, oh, I need tomatoes and potato. And then this device, this pendant stores those voice transcriptions, potentially locally, potentially, I haven't asked Avi all the things I wanted to, but you know, once he joins, we're going to talk about all of this. And then it injects into the context window of the LLM, I think is GPT-4, but I'm not sure, all that information. So everything that you say or hear is transcribed and stored as context. And then when you ask LLM about questions and answers, it actually has the thing that you listen to in context. And he showed this great demo and everybody was looking at it. I was like, wow, because essentially this adds to what Humane kind of did, right? This joins your real life context into the... <laughs> It shoves your real life data and what you heard into the context of a large language model, making them that much more better. Basically, basically outsourcing your brain and memory, which is something that I sure I can use and I will definitely use this as much as possible, but I'm sure that it will help tons of older people just as their memory kind of fades away. It, it could help like a bunch of, a bunch of people. And I was really rooting for Avi. And apparently not everybody was rooting for Avi because the day after a company called Rewind, which we maybe talked about, which may some of you use, is actually releasing something very similar or at least an announcement. And Rewind, what they did before is this uh, thing where Rewind sits on your computer, reads everything that you read. I think this, we, we've talked about Rewind a couple of times. It's like an AI memory thing. And uh, basically it's a Mac app that, records everything that you, you're in Zoom meetings or, and sees everything that you see and then transcribes all the text that you see. So you're able to very quickly go back and basically rewind the time and see, oh, I remember I saw Open Orca from Alignment Labs, I don't know, two days ago. Where was this? And it will show you the actual kind of tweet and you'll be able to copy. So basically, you'll be able to rewind time on your computer. Super, super exciting technology. It all lives local on your computer. It's all stored and, and encrypted. And so rewind... At, two days after Avi and you can take it as much as you can if it's inspired by him or they planned it before and then they, they got by surprise but he releasing theirs announced the uh, Rewind pendant as well which is basically a similar similar idea uh, uh, basically a necklace with a microphone this microphone records and then it injects into your LLM into the context uh, helpful hints about your daily life to make those AI agents way more useful and I think that it's very interesting from a perspective of GPT-4 living in, let's say, some open AI data set, database, and then you have to kind of give them your data versus a local model like folks here on stage and, and folks in the audience are training, plus my personal data. I think that comparing between those two modes is going to be very interesting. That, that is to say, right, we all know, and Arthur just mentioned, GPT-4 is like incredible at code, but is it incredible being helpful to me? And if not, can I use something else that like maybe less better at all the benchmark, but specifically is able to take my local stuff and integrate it and, 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 and be very useful. And so I think it's a, a very interesting development that in the span of a week, we got uh, Humane announced. We got tab announced and then rewind jump on this uh, thing. And the tech behind this is not a mode, right? It's a microphone and this microphone uses maybe whisper. It could be used whisper offline. It doesn't have to do it in real time. And so there's no like tech mode here. And I definitely see 
millions of these devices. Let's say, let's say two of them are going to get released by these companies and then kind of the Chinese replica type infrastructure is going to come into play and, and shove these devices in everybody's lap and super, super simple, make them smaller, make them more hidden. I definitely see that this is going to come pretty much to a lot of people if this takes hold. And I, I thought, I thought this was very interesting to see coming before like Apple announced something of theirs in this category. With that, I think it's a very interesting thing to talk about. And there's an additional thing I want to talk about voice, but before that, I want to get to Arthur as a reaction, maybe and folks on stage, feel free to react to the pendant microphone, always on thing that's injecting the context into the LLM to make you interact better with a AI friend. Go ahead, Arthur. Well, I just thought about now uh, the future black markets of those Loras or something else, which would be fine tuned on your life and you could buy someone else's life and just see through all that experience. So, yeah, you, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it, it, it definitely helps me to move to the next thing. Uh, because the next thing is, is maybe if this is scary, we'll talk about why this is scary maybe in the next uh, point. But yeah, actually, let's talk about this. Okay. So the next thing in voice that was happening this week and very interesting connects to something we've talked about last week. Uh, last week, if you guys remember, it was a blip on the radar because last week was insanely crazy. But last week's Monday was was crazy. Uh, not not last Monday, last week's Monday, where OpenAI released GPT-4 Vision and Voice, so you now can talk with GPT-4. Actually, I think it released to everybody, so if you go to your settings on GPT-4, ChatGPT app, you now can talk with it, and it will talk back. And the way it talks back, it uses a clone voice of theirs, but we heard also, as a blip on the radar, that Spotify is announced translation podcasts. So basically, all the podcasts on Spotify not all of them, but many of the podcasts on Spotify network will be able to use the translation features. And we've had examples of Lex Friedman speaking Spanish and stuff like this. And when when they cloned Lex Friedman's voice and they made him speak Spanish, it actually sounds like Lex learned Spanish and speaks Spanish. So it's really funny. It like Garris is like a little bit of a Russian accent in there. It's really like exciting. And so this was like a hint that OpenAI has voice cloning technology. I followed up with this. I talked with Boris Power over Twitter and I told him like, hey, you guys need to open sources. And he's like, are you sure? I think it will be harmful. And I actually take a very strong position about this that I think deep fakes need to get as wide as possible for many people, as many people as possible to realize that deep fakes are here. Everything can be faked and no voice should be trusted by default. I think the faster we realize this, the faster we teach our elders before election season, I think the better. But it's my personal position. It's a hot take. We can talk about this. I know some, some folks here on stage agree for sure. However, on this topic, this was last week, using OpenAI like stealth technology that was only shared with Spotify, which I don't believe in. If you have a cool technology, everybody should use this. I use another social media app called AirChat, which I all invite you all to also join. It used to be by invite. Now it's open. Uh, AirJet is this async voice-based app from Naval Ravikant and Brian Norgard. I know definitely the Nistans there, Junaid is there, some other folks in there. And I welcome all of you to join and kind of we can do, I have a, a whole set of AI rooms in there. And it's basically a voice-based social media system where it's like async voice. You can record a section and I can record a section. It's super cool. So the, why am I bringing this like unnecessary thing here is because AirChat has released a beta of something very similar which I want to play for you right now, if you give me a second. And yeah, this is a multimedia Thursday recording. Let's see if this works. 
Good morning from California. As Brian said, this room is very interesting. Very, very interesting because language barriers don't need to exist. Language barriers hinder people from meeting in the middle to talk about important things. And I am very happy that Architect has now made this room and we'll see if it can help me learn other languages. Right, so I hope you heard this. And if not, I'll send you the, the link afterwards. What you just heard is an AI Alex. Um, what you just heard is me recording in Hebrew. I just said a few words in Hebrew and the uh, air chat kind of automatically already have been cloned my voice and had the data set of my voice. They translated my Hebrew to English and then used the clone of my voice to kind of read this out loud in English for folks who don't know Hebrew. And, uh, when I saw this, I was very, very, very excited. Okay. So we've talked about multiple times about my specific uh, vision in life for Targum and different things about language barriers should not be existing. And I think. The, the counterpoint towards, Hey, deep fakes is just like scary thing that is going to hurt much of society. I see the benefits. One of the main benefits that I see in kind of deep fakes is the ability to then have Thursday eye and be translated with my voice into Russian. So my mom can listen to it and understand what we're talking about. And AirChat actually implemented this and implemented this very well in, in such a way where it actually, it doesn't sound perfectly like me because I have a unique accent and mine is all over the place. And the clone Alex sounds a little British, which I'm okay with. I wish I was a little British myself, but I'm not, but I think it's very incredible as an opening start towards voice technology that actually enables versus scares. And I think, uh, the more good examples we have to show people and tell people about technology, the better it is for everyone, because there's going to be many, many, many people remembering, oh, this is black mirror. Oh, this is going to bring about the ruin of the universe. And I say, nay, I think open source is, there's just one piece of this connecting people from different cultures, breaking down language barriers, I think is going to be very, very important. And AI is an enabler for this. And in this voice category, I think, I think we saw the Spotify folks from podcast and we saw AirChat doing this. If you're, if you want to use this in that you can, I think it's open now. And I think it's just like a, this beautiful thing that we're only at the start of. With that, my monologue is kind of over. I think Arthur, you had a comment and then Junaid. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I think it's also will affect the media industry and TV shows and movies because uh, <clears throat> right now in some cases, the translation is not that good especially in intonations and to the emotion expression. Uh, but I think it, it also has a negative impact because uh, I had a talk with a French girl who lives in Armenia and she is to Georgia too. And she told that she and all her friends know English very well because uh, they had to, they wanted to watch American TV shows. And because there was no translation, they had to just learn the language to understand all the jo jokes and all that stuff. So now they can speak and understand very easily. And I guess if that barrier goes down, yes, it will be much more accessible for people who don't have time to practice, who are just tired in the evening and want to just see some TV shows without... Uh, having a lot of thoughts in their brains trying to translate that. But I guess many people will <clears throat> lose motivation to learn other languages. I 
I'm going to wait on this one, Arthur, before, because I've heard this argument before. I, I don't want to get into a discussion. This is not the space for that. I do want to talk about this for sure. So Nista, we're going to, we're going to plan like a virtual grass touching because we've talked about this and this is a very interesting thing. I think adding capabilities to people will not make them more stupid. I think generally this is my line. Uh, Janet, go ahead. Yeah. So I actually was going to say something that's maybe a little counter argument for that. And I, maybe argument isn't the right word, but uh, what I've seen so far, it, it, what it allows a lot of people to do is communicate their ideas a little bit more clearly. And the fact that they can then listen to themselves in uh, English or Spanish or whatever other language, I think it might actually uh, serve as a little bit of a language coach for a lot of people. AirChat itself, I think, works as a bit of a conversation gym or a speaking gym for a lot of people allows you to hear yourself and to yeah just get better at it. like when I studied French in college I watch films French films that that would have English subtitles and I think it helped me sure it certainly helped if I went out and was hanging out with French students and Kind of got a, a going back and forth with people, and they're able to communicate more clearly, and then have some feedback about what that should sound like in the other language. I think it's going to actually benefit. I think it'll help. It'll actually be an on road for some people to learn a little bit more of another language that maybe they've studied in the past or that they are interested in studying. Yeah, Janet, I think it's yeah. coming out a little bit, but I think we got the bulk of it. And I think maybe to, to kind of summarize what you're saying, and I haven't thought about this before, imagine how cool a language tutor will be when you're saying something in your language and it translates it in your voice from another language and you hear yourself speak in your mind with the intonations that are yours, basically, with your language, with your uh, accent and everything, but in a different language. I think it will be incredible for, for language tutoring out there. Don't you agree? Just hearing yourself, how you would pronounce something in French would then be way better for you to learn French. Yeah. And I think, have you seen Prometheus, a movie, which is a, a sequel or just an expansion of alien franchise. Uh, and there was a, an AI who was teaching Dave different languages and he was uh, checking how he pronounces things. So I guess, yeah, with those things being more effort effortable and accessible for people, I guess many people learn languages better and more. Because I think right now, not many people can afford to um, go to a language school or they mm -hmm. simply don't have time for that. And with this thing just living in your pocket when you can practice anytime will be very, very useful. So I do think that an over, over amount of instruction can make people dumber. And uh, I noticed this myself. I look at the map too much on my phone. You lose spatial awareness. Whereas if you just walk around the city, you're much, your brain's much better at knowing where you are. And this also applies to languages too. So we just have to be a bit smart of how we apply it as to actually using it to talk in only the other language so that you adapt and learn quicker. And some of the other things, like I, I myself stopped using Copilot uh, last year 
because I, I felt like it was just giving me too many suggestions and stuff. Now I do get rate limited still by ChatGPT, so it's not like I haven't used these tools, but in some ways we have to be careful with that, that we're not over-reliant on, on the tech itself. Also, worst case scenario, think about it, the solar storm comes in and it just breaks all devices and all of a sudden nobody knows how to speak anyone else's language because we're all expecting a lot of the translation. I, I hear this this time. My only comment to this would be the same, but internet, right? So solar storm comes in, destroys all the electrical devices. We're screwed anyway. We're screwed anyway. I think additional capabilities should be taken in accordance with, you're saying you're dumber with spatial awareness, but you can hold maybe one, two, three cities in your head, right? With, with a map in your phone, with a special computing platform that's coming soon, you, you're able to access basically all cities all the time, right? And so taking this in vacuum of, am I more dumb because I don't remember phone numbers anymore? I don't think it's like in vacuum anymore. I think, no, I'm smarter because I can hold thousands of phones in my pocket, like millions of phones, phone numbers. But I generally agree with you in terms of the, the problem statement, which is if I outsource my mapping capabilities to like a digital map, or if I'm outsourcing my language capabilities to an AI, then do I need them to hold them in my head? And I am okay with augmenting this out. I, I just think that not only I, I think many new, newer generations will grow up with augmentation by default. Yeah. Maybe let me cover this tiny thing and then we can uh, do a short discussion and then finish Thursday. I, <laughs> um, we've talked about lawyers before lawyers are this way to fine tune SDXL on different concepts. One of the best beautiful examples came from somebody who trained a Laura on stable diffusion based on tutorials for Ikea. Just took a bunch of tutorials for Ikea. And then basically if you go to this tweet and you go down and you can, you can do this, you can ask for anything and will draw anything as though it's an Ikea tutorial. So the one that pinned on top is like somebody asked for Jan LeCun and those are just hilarious. I just like thought it, thought it, thought it so, so funny that two weeks ago, we all like were looking at spirals and different logos hidden in as, as the Excel examples, right? The, the, you guys remember the spiral stuff, probably you saw, we talked about this. And now there's this very specific thing that everybody knows about. Everybody built sometimes Ikea furniture and have tried to collect it together and with the, with the little keys. And now you can have things like people, you can have the concepts, how to go to sleep, all in this Ikea format. And I think this is like one of the greatest lores that I've seen go around, uh, just like a highlight of technology. I think this is the last to cover. I didn't get GPT-4 vision. Everybody is getting excited by GPT-4 vision. Uh, the use case grows. People are getting like really, really into the use cases. And I still maintain that until we get GPT-4 vision API, we won't actually see the explosion. But once developers get a hold of this capability, again, connecting this to dependent and the AI is joining us in the real world, Connecting this to multiple things that could happen with this technology, I think we're going to see like a huge explosion in capabilities. Without any of that's all we had to cover. So I just, I want to briefly recap everything that we've talked about. And first of all, say thanks to the hosts here, Nisten, Arthur, Junaid, Luigi, Tafrir, and some folks in the audience, deep friends of the pod, Pharrell and Alignment Labs, and many, many, many other folks who I deeply appreciate joining me from week to week to help you guys learn and kind of get updates on everything that's new and excited for the past week in AI. You're, if you missed a part of it, you're welcome to follow us on Apple 
podcasts and uh, Spotify and everywhere else you get your podcast. There's also a newsletter that you should sign up for. And we've covered this week several things. We've covered everything from big companies, Google adding Bard to Google Assistant, whether that's on the phone or also in the physical devices, remains to be seen, but definitely Bard is going to augment Google Assistant. Uh, we saw an, a new foundational model called Yasa One from a company called Reka AI, who is multimodal by default, and it's coming with a chief scientist who was in Google brand for a while called Yitei. It was an announcement. We're going to see how it actually it performs. And we saw Arc, the browser, integrating AI features with five-second link previews and the chat with a web page, so you can actually chat with every web page you serve. You can summarize, you can ask questions about the stuff that you read or see, which is super, super cool as a, as a new tool in your tool set, in your AI tool set. We've talked about open source LLMs and Mistral becoming the darling of open source AIs. And many of the folks on the top of the charts of open source fine tunes who are literally in this audience, like literally Alignment Labs and Pharrell and Tignium, I think, stepped in for a while and Luigi's here and how much Mistral kind of dropping the bomb on us with a torrent link last week, which you covered, now is also getting uh, incredible performance with the 7B model, getting 98% there towards a 70B model, which is significantly harder to run and almost impossible for regular folks, whereas the 7B models probably can run on a uh, single GPU. And again, shout out. Shout out to Austin in the, in the audience for Open Orca, Mistral, and Mistralic, I think, uh, for Pharrell and multiple other Pythons. And stay tuned for that because the contact window is going to get extended. The quality is going to go up and it's going to learn to code and it's going to be awesome. So thank you, Mistral team. Then we talked about the rise of AI systems that are going to join you in the real world, whether that's Tab from Avi or Rewind Pendant or Humane Pin or any other clones that are going to come after that because AIs joining you in the real world will actually make a difference because you, they will remember what you saw and they'll be able to help you with your memory augmentation and different things. We also covered the AirChat voice cloning and translation technique, which is great. And I, I showed an example of an AI Alex speaking English, whereas the original was Hebrew, me speaking Hebrew. And who knows, maybe Thursday AI is going to come at you in your language of choice very, very soon. And definitely worth checking out AirChat, I think helps me with my vision of removing language barriers is going to be good for the world. And then we talked about some potential things about the outcomes for this. With that, I think that we also covered some GPT-4 vision and the IKEA Laura thing where you can generate IKEA style manuals with SDXL, with Stable Diffusion Excel to any concepts. And the funny examples we had on top is Jan LeCun, for example, the chief scientist of Meta AI as an IKEA instruction manual or going to sleep as an instructional IKEA instruction manual. So I think this is a quick recap of everything we've covered this week. We also briefly talked about streaming LLM. We're not sure yet. This is like a, a thing to cover maybe next week. With that, I want to thank all of you for joining Thursday. I, it's always great to do this. It's always great to keep up to date and then keep you up to date. If you missed any of this, uh, Thursday.news will send you an email very soon. Once I'm, I'm finding a, a, a nice spot here in San Francisco to sit and actually edit this. And with that, have a nice Thursday. I will see you probably next week. If not, there'll be a live space will be a newsletter, but probably not a live space if I'm doing multiple spaces in this AI engineer thing. If you're joining AI engineer next week in San Francisco, please come and say hi. I'm going to be there with microphones. I'm going to talk to multiple folks. And if not, I just want to 
Uh, shout out that next week we're probably not gonna do a live recording on Thursday. Okay. Gasp, everybody, but it's fine. Now a newsletter will still come out, and uh, yeah, this week I'm coming to you live in San Francisco from the arena, sitting in Weights and Biases office. Shout out to Weights and Biases for hosting me for this week and letting me do the space. And thank you everybody for joining. Have a great week, and yeah, thank you, Scott, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.